This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you as always by ZipRecruiter. Having a high sports IQ, very important. You know who's a high sports IQ? Tom Brady. Yeah, six-time Super Bowl champ. You know what the value of a high sports IQ is? You win six Super Bowls like Tom Brady did. But when it comes to hiring, you don't need a high hiring IQ. You need ZipRecruiter. So effective. 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. My listeners can try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, spring training is here. Manny Machado is a padre. We have no idea where Bryce Harper is playing. But that doesn't stop you or shouldn't stop you from building a fantasy team around either of them. The Yahoo Fantasy app, the number one mobile app in fantasy baseball, the official fantasy game of the MLB. Check out the Yahoo Pro Leagues, Public Leagues. You play for cash. Yahoo handles all the money, no commissioner. Buy in for as little as 20 or as much as a thousand bucks. Build your Yahoo team around these Pantheon level superstars, stash prospects, whatever you want. Download the Yahoo Fantasy app or sign up now at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball. We're also brought to you by Belvedere, produced in one of the world's longest running distilleries. I can't speak. Belvedere Vodka is the world's finest all-natural vodka, part of a 600-year Polish vodka-making tradition. Belvedere is made with non-GMO Polish rye, pure water, no additives, recognized for quality, named the ISC World Vodka Producer of the Year in 15, 16, and 17. Enjoy a delicious cocktail with Belvedere Vodka today, and remember to always drink. Responsibly, we're also brought to you by TheRinger.com, the world's greatest website, The Ringer Podcast Network, which has just an incredible number of entertaining podcasts. And let's give a special shout out to The Ringer's YouTube channel, which passed 100,000 subscribers this week. Thanks to everybody who spread the word for us. Apparently, we get like a silver button. They mail it to us, Kyle. How big is it? I don't know. And, and we're going to be fighting over who gets to have it in their office, but... I didn't know it was such a big deal to pass 100,000 subscribers. I I would have I would have uh I would have cared more. I would have been plugging the channel. You know how competitive I am. This is great. We are in the 100,000 club and now the sky's the limit. I'm really proud of the video team and everybody here because um we put a lot of work into those videos. I think we've done a lot of cool things with them. So, um all good. Thanks for spreading the word for us and uh thanks to YouTube. Mail us that silver thing already. I'm excited for it. Coming up, we have Mallory Rubin and Kevin Clark from The Ringer talking about Antonio Brown's situation, where it's headed, who's trading for him, as well as all the other off-season NFL gossip. And then Chris Ryan comes in. We're going to talk about ESPN's crazy Donahue piece about uh, Tim Donahue, the referee that they did this week, as well as some uh, hot takes for for the rest of the season. And then me and Sean Fantasy and Chris Ryan are going to do the five-year Oscars, which has become a tradition. We wait five years and then we go back to the Oscars from five years ago and try to figure out the right movies and actors and actresses won. So we're going to be doing that with the 2014 Oscars. All of that is coming up. But first, Pearl Jam. The Ringers Kevin Clark is here. The Ringers Mallory Rubin is here. Hello. Trying to get more sports out of her before uh, she goes into the Thrones quicksand. Game of Thrones is a sport, I think. You're not wrong. There's betting for it. 
we're gonna talk some. <laughs> we're gonna talk Antonio Brown's next team because I think this is important. This is somebody that is top six or seven all-time receiver with mm. a chance to go. Basically, has a chance to be the second best receiver of all time if he has five more good years. He's, 30, he's in the he's mix. Going to be thirty-one this year. Yeah, but the kind of body he has, I, I do feel like he could. He could age pretty well yeah, as, Randy as this Moss, decade goes. Randy Moss was 30 when he joined the 07 Patriots. Right. So and, it, and it already had slippage yeah. and stuff. Brown has never really had slippage. And you could argue like the QB, like who the F knows. Um, he's under contract. Uh-huh. Two more years. His contract jumps, I think, on March 13th. So they basically have a two-week span to trade him. And but it's he's make already sense saying that he wants to renegotiate his contract wherever he goes. That he wants guaranteed money. So you yeah, have to factor that in. Well, I don't know if you heard him say how he made he's made seventy five million dollars already. He's very happy to tell people that because fans love hearing stuff like that. Um, first question: because the Colts make the most sense for him, mm-hmm. just for like who needs him, who has the assets, who has the cap space. Mm-hmm. Is there any way the Steelers trade him to an AFC team? I say no. I say no. So they have $107 million in cap space. They are they they are ready to win. As we saw, they were probably the hottest team in the NFL over the this, this second half of the season. Yes. If they hadn't run into a, a Mahomesian buzzsaw, that they're, it's a very different story with them. I think there are cases to be made for, but I think, listen, dude, they, they just drafted two all-pros last year. I think they're... From a football standpoint, I would take on the risk and say, let's try to win a Super Bowl this year. I just don't know if it fits their risk profile. And from a Steelers perspective, I mean, you're basically handing another AFC team a juggernaut. And I don't think they would do Yeah, you're souping up your own competition. Unless... You're creating a Super Bowl favorite in your own conference. We have a Steelers hater in the house, Mallory Rubin. Proud Steelers hater. Is there a roadmap where the Steelers say, let's throw away 2019, we don't care... We, let's just get the most for him because this is our rebuilding year. If he wants to win a Super Bowl with Indianapolis, knock yourself out. Well, so the Brown thing doesn't exist in a vacuum to answer that question, right? He's demanding a trade. They're acknowledging that they're shopping him. They're not, they, they, they've announced they're not tagging Bell. No surprise, of course. Right. But so Le'Veon Bell is going to hit the market. The Roethlisberger era is coming to an end. So that's the heart of the offense for this last run of dominance, gone or about to be gone. So sure, maybe they're entering a rebuilding mode, but I don't know if that cancels out the unwillingness to consider an AFC rival. However, then you factor in how hard it's going to be to find the partner they need because they have very little leverage given that he's been out there saying for all this time, I I, I don't want to be a stealer anymore, right? The fact that he then came out and said, I want to renegotiate my deal and I want guaranteed money. Yeah, that was a great... And that the the GM, the team has come out and said, we're going to demand like a star load for a star player, right? That's a pretty tough calculus. You can't also then say we're only going to consider five teams. That said, I think yep. Ravens, Browns, Bengals, Patriots are probably non-starters. The Browns would be amazing. The Browns and would be a, $78 million in The Browns cap would space. be a great it's destination for him. It's unfortunate. I thought about this. Yeah. The, the two sort of fantasy destinations from a football dork perspective are the Browns and the Chiefs. And I don't think they would trade them to either. I didn't even put the Chiefs on no, this list because I mean, that, that's, you they can't have, trade them to the Chiefs. They have $25, they have $25 million football dollars in cap space. Can I, can I ask a question? He would just be unbelievable in the Chiefs. Well, I have a nugget on that, but go ahead. Love, always count on Clark for a I nugget. I love when Clark Always has nuggets. I, I 
hate to be the Debbie Downer, but I feel compelled to mention and ask about the domestic incident and the fact that the NFL is currently looking into it, whatever that means, given that it's the NFL. Now, the police are not investigating the incident currently, based on my understanding. Is that right? But does the fact that the NFL is investigating this claim have any bearing on a potential deal? Or is the fact that, unfortunately, this is the NFL and terrible things happen? They came out pretty aggressively after that happened, pointing out some of the some of what they felt like were the factual flaws of the argument. There was no, there was no official police report, like all that stuff. Right. I think the fact that this is the NFL and look, I mean, the Browns just acquired Kareem Hunt. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it would be naive to the point of absurdity to say that this is something NFL teams would care about, but feel compelled to mention it as a factor in his off season. Well, the chiefs, the chiefs waving Kareem Hunt Mm. And unless there's nothing to this AB thing, but like then going that way would be a yeah. weird move. What was your nugget on the oh, Chiefs? It was that when I spoke to Brett Feach earlier in the year about Mahomes and how to build an offense around him, he literally said the player he looks at when he's scouting wide receivers is mm-hmm. Antonio Brown. Because what you have, what, what he said, you have to put receivers on your board who can extend a play and almost, it's almost like hoops. You have to know exactly where they are. You have to know exactly the chemistry when you're throwing to a guy. And he was like, you look at Antonio Brown, he's the best to ever do it what they're looking for. So if you're looking for an Antonio Brown type in the draft every single year and Antonio Brown becomes available, maybe it's the kind of thing where you say, you know what, screw it. Let's just give up a second round pick and see what happens. I'm not saying that's going to happen. Again, they'll have $25 million in cap space. They're going to tag D Ford. I'm just saying, if you want to go all in on a rookie contract, mm. hold your noses for this next point. Oh boy. He's the perfect Patriot. (laughs) (laughs) This is like- How many minutes into the- Pot, are we? About five, six? I, in my own personal yeah. over-under, had three and a half minutes for building. I thought that was going to be the first question. Yeah. I, did you ask I'm, the, I, I just I'm think, frankly stunned by your restraint. I think there's a 0% chance they would ever trade him to the Patriots, but you're talking about two decades of Brady. Mm-hmm. This is the ultimate type of receiver that he succeeds with. He's had... Very Troy Brown in 2001 was 75% what AB is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deion Branch was a bargain basement AB. The Welker, what he has with Edelman. Antonio Brown's like the best ever version of that. Yeah. He'd be unbelievable. So there's a couple of things. Number one is that Antonio Brown led the NFL, sorry, was third in the NFL last year in go route efficiency. So basically his best route is just going right down the field. Oh, well, that's and, bad for Brady. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I mean, listen, Antonio Brown can cut over the middle of the field as good as anybody. That's kind of the Brett Feach thing. That's kind of the Chiefs thing is that he can really get open over the middle of the field. But his most efficient route last year was just going straight But ahead. I feel like he's like, an unbelievable slot receiver yep. who also has yep. the ability to beat anybody deep. That's what makes yeah. him special. And that's why he's one of the five or six best ever. He's like, if Julian Edelman could also just beat people on a straight line. Yeah. No, I mean, then that's what it is. I think at one point, I don't know the final tally on this, but for most of the season, he was leading the NFL in uncatchable balls thrown at him because Roethlisberger was just so inaccurate. <laughs> well, and that's so the other I think thing. they if could extend his career. Yeah, if, if you're you getting just, him, you're getting somebody yeah. who yep. was just with a quarterback who I thought underperformed and was really erratic. Right. And might not give a shit the same way Whereas he did 10 years ago. Tom Brady was just peak performance all season long, never gave anybody a reason to wonder if he was slowing down. Kyle, how many Super Bowls do we have? <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be six. <laughs> That's right. I I can't, 
I always have trouble. Is it five, six, seven? Six like now, once yeah. it gets past five, it's like yeah. you gotta like take a breath and yeah. be like, how many did we win? If you were eating more strawberries, you'd have six. a better memory. But I know you like to six. follow the TB12 diet. Six. Yeah, some garlic. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> The throwing the ball. I love this because she gets to make fun of the Patriots, so I can just sit here and, and take it all in. I you can, can focus I on the Nuggets. Yeah, I don't have to be the heavy here. You can you can be the heel. Here's why I don't think they would go for for uh, Antonio Brown because they've just proven they don't need receivers to win a Super Bowl. <laughs> they had one, and they had oh a broken God. down tight end and a bunch of say, weird running backs, and they won the Super Bowl. All your insufferable Patriots takes. The yeah. Patriots don't need Antonio Brown. It's yeah, like one of the most reprehensible. Well, we don't need him. I I, I want to talk about this for a second. Because sorry. I, I <laughs> Sorry for being honest. When I was in Mobile. Going 12 and 4 next year, we'll see you in the Super Bowl. When I was in Mobile for the Senior Bowl, I saw a Gio. And I was talking to him and I was trying to do a story on how the Rams and the Patriots had the opposite team building yeah. philosophy. And I was like, you know, it's crazy that the, the Patriots have this team building philosophy where they just win on the edges. They never go go all in like the Rams do. And the Jim the, the looked at me and he said, listen to me, nothing matters except Belichick and Brady. That's all that that's they've Same proven that over and over again. Nothing matters. And I actually I don't think it's that. But I just kind of think I, I I agree with you. Like it's it's a house here, with great bones. We're sitting here and saying, oh, you know, the, uh, you know, receiver can help this team, this team, this team. Be great. The Patriots have proven that if you just have a good coach, a good quarterback, and you're smarter than everybody else, you can win most times. We had the third best wide receiver of all time in 07. We did not win the Super Bowl with him yeah. during his peak season. Um I am convinced more than ever that they just benefit from other teams falling apart and doing dumb shit. Yeah. And that's like almost part of the Belichick Brady greatness. They're a casino. I will say this though. I watched Inside the NFL and I watched Miked Up and I watched all the other NFL network content where guys had mics during mm-hmm. the game. McVay lost that Super Bowl before the game when he went up to Belichick and it was like the Chris Farley show. Did you see that? <laughs> Hey, Bill, it's such an honor to go against you, man. Uh, man, I just really love what you guys are doing. Belichick's like, I'm trying to win a Super Bowl. Like, can you go away? It was done. I think McVay thought he was going to win. And I think that it was kind of a, I think it was, he was trying to do that so that people would would see that as a moment of respect and passing of the torch. That was my my vibe, what I got from that. Kevin would never go up to another writer and offer a compliment. He just goes up and says, I'm going to crush you with my nuggets. Yeah. He would sit next to him in the press box and then try to stare at him. Yeah, just stare him down. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe do some passive aggressive tweet. I would do the Jim out of the way, but you just wear an extra large. I would do the Jim McMahon Rizelle thing. I would just have their name on a headband. (laughs) Uh, So we haven't mentioned the team where I think he's going. The 49ers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it makes the most sense. Seventy-six for, million in cap space. He also posted an reasons. Instagram of himself photoshopped into a 49ers uniform. Which, he was also in this office two weeks ago and <laughs> talked about how he loves the 49ers. He's been tweeting at almost everybody <laughs> yeah. on the 49ers, and they've been tweeting back. Yes. So here are the odds. Sup, I believe was the kittle. <laughs> 49ers. <laughs> 49ers plus 350. They're the favorites for the Brown sweepstakes. Steelers also plus 350. Cowboys are eight to one, which is hilarious. Jets are 10 to one. That's kind of the fuck you trade for Antonio Brown. And we should talk about that. Yeah. There's an amazing Jets possibility to consider, which is both both Bell and Brown on the Jets. Because Bell is an obvious Jet. Like, Like on the downside. Costs a ton of money, isn't exactly at an efficient position. That's classic Jets. It is really like 
textbook jets, <laughs> vintage jets. Uh, if they really, the fuck you trades for Brown are number one, Buffalo. Buffalo. Oh yeah. Where Absolutely. it's like, enjoy Buffalo. Um, enjoy the smallest city we have. Josh, enjoy, Allen, Josh Allen connecting on one. Enjoy of Josh Allen balls. as your quarterback. <laughs> enjoy getting your ass kicked by the Pats and uh, enjoy not exactly the most diverse city. There you go. Good luck. That won't be great. Um, the number two fuck you city is the Jets. Yeah. I don't know. I think he might like well, that. He won't realize it's a fuck you city until we're eight games in and Sam Darnold has just thrown five picks against the Chiefs. And he's like, oh shit, what did I do? I think that he has a unique ability. There's not many receivers who can make an offense that much better. You know, there were three, I think he was number two in the NFL last year in 30 yard plus touchdowns. Number one was Ty Hill. He was tied with Saquon Barkley. If you want more Saquon Barkley, Island ammo, there it is. Love that guy. Um, but I think that, you know, I think that one of the interesting things is that, you know, Odell Beckham might be on the market too. And I just, Good. I know. And, and Pass. I, what you'd rather have? You'd rather have Brown than than Beckham. I wouldn't go near and near Odell Beckham. Wait, why? Why? I, I think the chaos that he brings but is how can insurmountable. You, but how can you say that what? about Beckham and not Brown? Because Brown's actually been on teams that succeeded, and I, I think the situation he was in. I can what, at least was understand. Was it losing to Blake Bortles? Was that no, the success? They've won like <laughs> ten to thirteen games almost every year. Yeah, but he's never made year. a Super Bowl. No, but whose fault is that? I, I don't know. I, 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 whose fault is it that the Giants haven't? Well, Odell Beckham that. has been operating with a worse quarterback. Eli Manning is just not very good. I don't know if you've checked in on Eli Manning since he beat your team in a Super Bowl, but he's not very good. <laughs> he's not very good. I just think the cost is less for Maybe only because he's Brown. younger and the cap yeah. is similar. Beckham is like, I'm paying a king's ransom for a guy who might be a semi-lunatic. I don't know if I uh, want to do that. I don't know. I think, <sighs> and I'm not, also not sure he could stay in the field. I would. I would make the case that with Odell, the whatever narrative you're either going to opt into or brand is ridiculous. I'll, I'll. I think Kevin and I are in the. This is a ridiculous narrative about Odell camp. What is that? He's a distraction, and that there's chaos. There's no such thing as a distraction. Regardless of whether you think that's true or not, I would say that with Odell, it's like it's more predictable. In the sense that it's it's always sort of of a piece with the other things that he does. He really cares about winning. He wants to win. And so if there's an outburst or a tirade, it's about how badly he wants to win. What part of the last few months or years of the Antonio Brown experience was predictable? So that would be Getting the rub. Getting on an elliptical or whatever he was on and doing an Instagram live to talk about the new nickname he wants and his new contract Mr. Big demands. Chest. I think the mass Singer was the biggest red flag. <laughs> And how happy he was to be on that Dancing with Stars so and Red happy. Flag. The whole thing that happened the last week where he wasn't playing and all that. I agree. He brings his own version of chaos, but I just think his resume is at a whole other level than Odell's. I, I, okay. I, I mean, Brown's like right now probably like the fifth best receiver ever. Sure. But in 2019, there are better quarter, better receivers than him. DeAndre Hopkins is probably better than him. I think Odell on a talent basis is probably going to have a better 2019. So you're saying you'd rather hit your wagon to a younger Odell no. because you feel like it's an equal level of chaos with I would, I would look I would look at it as how much he's going to cost, similar cap hits the next two years. It comes down to what the Giants want to get for him. If, you're, if, if you can get Odell Beckham for a first round pick, I would take him. So if you're the Niners... So you're the, Amari Cooper cost. Amari Cooper's just, a, you know, pretty good. 
You have the second How pick. How dare you talk about your slow news day co-host, Amari Cooper, that way. Darnold canceled on slow news day. It's because he's focused on building a new he's offense. He's the new Matt Stafford. With Bell and Brown. <laughs> um, you have the second pick with Fear the Niners. The Steelers have yeah. the 20th pick. Yeah. The Steelers call you up and they say, let's flip first and you could have AB. Did the Niners do that? Mm. They should. Yeah. They should, yeah. You get to move up 18 spots. They should. They have to build an offense around Garoppolo. They have to. Or Nick Mullins. This is one of your best takes. Nick Mullins. Oh, that's... Play action lord. <gasps> Nick Mullins over Garoppolo? No, I'm joking. He, Nick Mullins with Shanahan over like 10 NFL starting quarterbacks, but not Garoppolo. Somebody had a take online today that was so in your red hot take wheelhouse. It was the Tevin Coleman... Tevin Coleman Tevin is a better free agent than Le'Veon Bell. Just, I feel about, like just, Kevin quietly agrees with that. I don't. Oh, I, no, 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 no. I think he was jealous <laughs> of it. No, 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 no. no. Kevin jealous of it. Legs. That's wrong. It, 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 it's, it's not about that. It's about never signing a running back a free agent. Yeah. That's, that's it. it. It's just ignore. If a running back is making more than a rookie contract, don't have him on your team. <laughs> we just won a Super Bowl with a running back who – Got the limited amount of yards every time there was a giant yeah. hole. Sony Michelle, who also can't catch for some reason, had seven catches in four months. Uh, Rex Burkhead, who's like, <laughs> what is he? Is James he, he made huge plays in the playoffs. And yeah. then James White, who basically yeah. didn't even really play. I would agree. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I want to talk about distraction culture for a second because yeah. I just feel like it's so the Seahawks won a Super Bowl when Super Bowl week they were just punching each other in the <laughs> face. Okay. Like, has anyone looked into the early 90s Cowboys for some distractions? Well, on the online era, it's a little different now. The, I, I will bring up that the ultimate distraction of all time uh, was a guy who was murdering people and he almost won a Super Bowl. Who is that? Odell Beckham? Oh, yeah. Aaron Hernandez? <laughs> what? I mean, he was a distraction in the locker room. If anybody's ever been didn't a distraction, know about the sale. murders. I mean, Jesus. This How many crimes did he commit in like the that. locker Kyle, room? This is what they have to do after like six titles. They got to bring up Hernandez. <laughs> he scored the go ahead touchdown in the Super Bowl, and he had committed at least well, a long, nobody knew at a that long point. list of crimes. Jesus. Speaking of distractions. At the very yeah. least. Distraction culture. Distractions, not always the player, sometimes the coach. Yes. How about John Gruden and the Raiders? Yeah. Great oh. one. I'm going to do the Great Sopranos. One. Oh! <laughs> Around 60 million in cap space. So that is- This uh, feels right in a lot of ways. That's 20 to 1. <laughs> this feels right to me in a and lot of ways. And that's where the Steelers already did business with them with Martavis Bryant. Right. So they the other know ones, they need a marketable star heading into the into the Vegas year, right? A season away from that, but you got to start thinking ahead to that. He loves star power, doesn't care about distractions. You can hear him right now at his first press conference. This Antonio Brown. Jets are 10 to 1. Packers are 12 to 1. I'm crossing them off because I just don't think they're going to trade him to a Hall of Fame quarterback and then set up the narrative of Antonio Brown trashing Ben Roethlisberger and he's like, now I'm with the real quarterback. Mm -hmm. They're not doing that. Um, yeah. And then Saints are off the board too. They're for the same reasons. What about the Cardinals? Yeah, the Cardinals have a ton of cap space. Yeah. It's I a good fuck you team. 14 it's a good, to one. It's a good FU team. I don't understand why if you're the Cardinals, you'd make that move. I mean, they they have a weird identity crisis. They signed Charles Clay yesterday. They've signed two of the guys, the Falcons. Are you saying cut. they're poorly run because they've just hired a coach and then fired him nine months later? <laughs> <laughs> and hired a fired 
a fired college coach. And hired who, a fired who, college who coach. Who would have probably taken the job as offensive coordinator if you'd offered it to him since yeah. he was a college it's offensive coordinator. It's definitely easier to win in the NFL than at Texas Tech. Everything will be fine. And with a quarterback who's worse <laughs> than either Patrick Mahomes. Well, so that's the scenario yeah. I want to quickly play out. This fantasy thought experiment that the collective football fandom is engaging in where they get rid of Josh Rosen, Cliff drafts Kyler Murray, yeah. who he has openly said, obviously this was before he took the NFL job, he, he thinks is a, you know, a number one overall talent. And then they pair Kyler Murray with Antonio Brown. They're already working out together. Antonio Brown's already kes- catching passes from Kyler Murray because they've been working out his, his Antonio Brown's cousin, yeah. Hollywood Brown, who's also an NFL prospect in this draft class, is Great Kyler name. Murray's Incredible Oklahoma name. teammate. They've all been working out he also, together. Disney also works out with Russell Wilson as well, if I'm not mistaken. So you think Antonio that, Brown. You think there's a Seattle possibility? I, they here? took on the guy who was punching people, Percy Harvin. Can't be worse than that. I'm trying to figure out whether Sean Fennessy or Danny Kelly would like process this. Okay, so in Seahawks, fashion Seahawks, fifty two million dollars in cap space. Mm-hmm. They had the number one go route receiver last year, Lockett. Mm-hmm. So now you just run go routes over and over, four verts over and over again. That's a sustainable offense, baby. I like it. Simplify the offense. Give Shoddy. Russell Wilson more time to work on his trivia app so that Roger Sherman can win more money on it. The best part of it is they get Antonio Brown, they get Tyler Lockett, they still run the ball on the first two downs on every <laughs> single. Brian Schottenheimer just runs the ball up the middle on every single play. And then on third down, they throw a th- third and 10 heave to Brown or Lockett. Incredible. I got to stick up for my Antonio Brown Odell Beckham point. Okay, go ahead. I just think he's, I think he's a level higher. Okay. I just so do. He he is. Look, I really like Antonio I really Brown. Th- I really honestly think he, if he could just stay healthy for three or four more years, he would be the second best receiver of all time. He's not at the level he was in 2015 and 2016. He's a little bit, as far as efficient, the efficiency stats, some of those things, uh, he has dipped a little bit in productivity. Brown, I still think he's an elite, elite receiver. I just think that I'd rather have a 26-year-old at the same cap number who has just some of the best athleticism we've ever seen uh, than than a thirty one year old. By the way, Antonio Brown, sneaky left hander. I he's would rather one. he's another one of your left handers. I think I think Brown costs me a lot less, and I would rather do that. And and is potentially better short term than Beckham is. But I don't have to give up all I would have to give up for Beckham. I don't think the Giants trade Beckham for anything less than two firsts. Because now they're kind of stuck yeah. in the position they're in. You could I get agree. Brown by flipping twenty for two potentially. And then you get Brown out of it. Like, to me, that makes much more sense. Yeah, no, sense. I'd rather have that. I'm not saying that it, it, that you should sell the farm to get to get Odell Beckham. I'm saying that if you were, which one would you rather have on the team? I'd rather have Odell Beckham. Le'Veon Bell, quickly, where does he go? Oh, God. The Jets. The Jets. Yeah, there's going to be some. I, right? It's unfortunate that the, the Browns are smarter because it would have been a classic Browns overpay two years ago. Can we say the Browns are smarter when they just brought Kareem Hunt in at the running back position? It's it's more. I'm talking when more they had about a running back. That was the thing. Back. It's like Nick Chubb's good. Yeah, I had him on my fantasy teams. Nick Chubb is good. That guy was good. Somebody liked the Jets. Yeah. Can I give you the the Le'Veon the Bell ads? Yeah. Do you know who the favorites are? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the uh, the Jets are number one, and then they're tied for one with another team hmm. that has won a Super Bowl this century. That is in the NFC. Is it the... That has a quarterback that Mallory despises for off-field reasons. 
What? That has a fan base that screams ahoy after they score touchdowns. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh. I, some reason Mallory was trying to figure out some out reason, of all the quarterbacks she despises. For some reason, I thought this decade instead of this, this century. Six to one for them and the Jets. The Bucks. That, that makes sense. Hmm. You know who's not a good general manager? Tampa Bay's general manager. Who is that? Jason Light. Not good? No. Not good at his job? No, not great. Ravens are seven to one, Mal. Colts plus 750. So. Colts plus 750. The Colts are pretty yeah. fun for him. But would it have to be a trade or could he just no, sign? he's, he's no. gone. He's gone, right? Gonna yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not going to tag him. Yeah, yeah. Colts totally are pretty gone. fun for him. He doesn't have mileage on him. But, but he, you know, he's he sat out last season. He's had injury problems. He's had suspension problems. It's not like he's Mr., you know, 16 games a year in his past. I mean, Kevin would just put every running back on the planet on a leper colony, so. I just think that there's just not a lot of guys who make a team better at the running back position. What would you pay for Nick Foles? If I AKA. was, if I, if I was, if I was the Jaguars, let's say, uh, I wouldn't go above 14. I was, I'd give sort of the Case Keenum deal. That'd be mm. fine. It'd be fine for me. So then you'd, You'd replace him with Joe Flacco in a year? I would replace him with Joe Flacco in a year. What was that? What <laughs> are we doing? What Every are we I doing? It, I feel better about it. <laughs> I still can't believe it happened. I thought Roger did a nice <laughs> job, that piece he wrote about Elway's, yeah. the QB stuff about, Elway gets credit for the Peyton Manning thing, but that w- that was like a no-brainer. I'm not sure he deserves credit for that. Where yeah. it's like all these teams yeah. wanted him and he gave a list of right. the three teams he'd well, go to and Denver was one of the teams. Right. Well, also- the, so I don't know if other, that goes the in the other, win. The, the runners up were like the Cardinals and the Titans. And no one has ever accused those teams of yeah. being super savvy. Right. So I just, he it, the whole thing is very strange. I mean, he lucked out with Peyton Manning. Good for him. But he has not made a good quarterback move since. That, that Peyton Manning team they won Super Bowl was very well built. They had a lot of guys on great contracts. Mm-hmm. They got some bargains. But since then, it hasn't been great. Where do you want Foles to go? A.K. Big Dick Nick. We need we need in our lives on a good team so we can just make Big Dick Dick uh, jokes. I think the Jags would be really fun. I could see a Washington pairing if oh, not God. for the division rivalry yeah. Yeah. factor. Who's our writer in, that, but- in our NFL Slack who keeps posting the Alex Smith photos where uh, he's wearing like is the- Is it Riley? The leg- Is it Megan? Donnie? He's I think Megan the, posted at least one of them. Where he's out and about on crutches and he has like the cast, yeah, but it's like the metal around it. Like yeah. it's, it's like those weird 1920s photos of yeah, like weird really early upsetting. medical devices. And you're like, what like, the that hell guy's is not going to play again. It's really upsetting. Yeah. I mean, Washington needs a quarterback. Absolutely. But I, don't know. I, I think don't know. Uh, with Foles, you would, ha- you would basically have to mirror whatever the Eagles were doing. You'd have to run the same way. It would have to be a very specific clone of what the Eagles did for him to succeed. Well, I mean, I think that there's a, there's a lesson to be learned from what the Eagles did. And I think you can build an infrastructure around him very successful. I think that every team should learn what Nick Foles, what the Eagles did with Nick Foles. Is basically, they sat him down and were like, what are the plays you like to run? Mm-hmm. And yeah. then they took everything else out of the playbook that wasn't that. And I just feel like we sit here and we just overcomplicate these offenses and stuff. And what the Eagles do with Nick Foles is pretty admirable. I think you need talent around him. I, I don't yeah. think he'd be that great with the Jaguars, but I just think that— I'm, I'm down on the Jaguars, too. Hold on. Yeah. I'm going to tell you the team I think he should go to. Is it the Patriots? Here's the answer for Nick Foles. <laughs> I don't care where he goes because the Patriots have won six Super Bowls. That's, that's my take. <laughs> Kyle, six, baby. How six. many? Six. So uh, All this hatred's making us stronger. We've seen yeah. Foles' hands in big games. 
Um, Ooh. Yeah. So yeah. just stick him at tight end with the Patriots. Replaces Gronk. He probably has 400 yards. Is Gronk going to retire in the next two weeks? Well, Rosenhaus came out and said he's, think, he's, he's thinking about the next couple weeks. Free agency starts in, in, in what, three weeks? Uh, you know, I, Do I you know about the much scrutinized him and Belichick about to walk on the podium, that whole clip, that whole exchange they had? I, I'm, I'm not it's, sure. It's a big deal in the Patriots fan circles. <laughs> Patriots it, Reddit? It felt a little goodbye-ish. Was it about, again, threatening him with a with a future with the Detroit no, it was basically Lions Gronk, in order like, to try to get him to retire? It was like a thanks for everything kind of. It felt like something you would say on your last day at work. Uh, it was upsetting. What What's Gronk's next move? WWE? WWE. It's, Are we be, sure that the guy with the bad back can get body slammed? I think you use him the way you use Brock Lesnar and you, or how they're, it's somewhere between Lesnar and Rousey, how you're using yeah. him like 20 times a year and very carefully. Are we sure he has a bad back still? I, I, does that ever go away, Mr. Bad Back? I don't know. I, I, I think like two thirds of the people in the world have a bad back. Yeah. Kyle probably has a bad back. Now. I know, but Tate does. Tate has, well, Tate, Tate has Tate. a legit bad back. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't know what Gronk's going to do. I mean, I thought he might retire last year. I just think that he he he's going to entertain us and stay in our lives probably more than I we think think. that's one phone call from Brady. To say stay? Stay home? I think he just wants to be loved. I think he's still a little hurt from the trade. I think he just needs his back rubbed a little bit. I mean, the big issue for the Patriots right now, because we've won six Super Bowls, oh, oh is God. our owners <laughs> off the rails. Our owner was at the All-Star game with like a big diamond yeah. champions yeah. necklace pendant thing. Yeah. Did you see that? I did. Like he's turned into the Rodney Dangerfield back to school character, but like this is just who he is every day. He's going to every party and he acts like he's 30 years old. I was in bed at All-Star Weekend before Bob Kraft. <laughs> How does he do it, Mallory? I, I, I shudder to think. <laughs> I really shudder to think. There's never been any. I, the best moment of my life was when you said her name and not mine at the end of that question. <laughs> I have no thoughts on this. You have no thoughts on Bob Craft <laughs> no at all? Thoughts on Bob Craft. <laughs> Anything else we got to cover football West? That's it, right? That's all the big stories. No more trades, no more big moves. Yeah. I mean, yeah. gearing up for free gearing agency. Up for, we okay. have the combine coming up. We have the combine. Up, so we, got, be exciting. we got Kyler Murray going, but not doing drills. Right. I never gave you guys my Kyler Murray take. As you know, I know I don't follow college football. I can't wait. But for I this. still have takes. Let's hear them. Too short. <laughs> well, he doesn't get his he doesn't get his passes batted down. Too short. He can climb the pocket. Guess what? We were there for Doug Flutie. He was yeah. amazing in the eighties. Too short. Incredible talent. We really wanted it to happen. Too short. Are the Oakland A's paying you to put this out into the He's world? He's too short. You can't have a five eight quarterback. It's not working. Here's where I come in off Common Sense Mountain, and yeah. I just land. I'm like, hey guys, uh, Kyler Murray's too short. And then we're done. And then I climb back up and I parachute back up to the top of the mountain. Can I ask you a question? With, with the other people with common sense. I say this with, with no malice. Yeah. Genuinely just curious. Have you ever watched a single I saw Kyler some Murray YouTube. Game? I saw some YouTube of him. Of him doing what? I'm just, he's played 85% <laughs> in the pocket last year. I'm blind out on 5'8 and under quarterbacks. I'm just out. For what it's worth, he will say he's 5'9, if yeah. that makes a difference. 5'9, I'm out too. Flutie was 5'9". What's your cutoff? 5'9". 
Because Flutie was incredible. He had a cannon arm. Yeah. He was ingenious and nobody could ever figure out how to turn him in. By the way, like five teams tried. He was in the league for 13 years. Including the Patriots. Including the Patriots. You don't understand when he took over for Tony Eason, that was like one of the underrated great moments in Patriots fan history. Everybody wanted it. It was like, finally, the Messiah is here, Doug Flutie. And it was bad. So in, you opt in in general to the trend of younger quarter or uh, shorter quarterbacks in the league. Obviously, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, but Baker at some Mayfield, point but you're you think too this short. Is too short. Yeah, I think it seems like I would. How tall is Wilson? Like five, five eleven, five ten, like that. Once you're getting to five eight, that's just tiny. Plus, on top of it, guys falling on him and all the well, terrible no, things I, that I can happen. Say, I don't. Personally, worry about his height just because he is he is so unbelievably dynamic and gifted. When you watch him, it's like this guy has to be able to succeed. He just seems like he has to be. The body type is more of the thing for me. He's so small. Yeah, like I, I think one, he will. I think he hit. should be drafted high in the first round, and I think he will be really electric and fun to watch and good. But that is a more reasonable concern to me than the height. I don't know. I mean. Well, this is a very important He's point. He's unstoppable. But I'm still going to root for him, and I hope I'm wrong. I right. just personally, if my team spent a first-round pick on a 5'8 quarterback, I would fucking Can go I nuts. play? Let me play I devil's advocate here, though. I just think that if there's any era in which one hit knocking a quarterback out doesn't matter, it's this era where you can't hit quarterbacks. I mean, like, you, he will not get hit. He will get hit less than any quarterback in history because that's, that's what happens when you enter the league at 2019 instead of 2003. What do you think, Kyle? I think that's a good point. Thank that's you. Kyle. A good what point. about when didn't like my Aaron Hernandez point, no. but liked my no, Kyler Your Aaron Hernandez one. point was terrible. What about when he's running though? <laughs> when he's scrambling, like not hits that he's taking in the pocket, but when he's just trying to. Create yeah, I mean, I think that he played as as Lincoln Riley came out and he told Peter King this week, and he played from the pocket yeah. more than anybody anybody thinks. Around eighty five percent, and most of his throws are from there. So I think that there will be times that he leaves the pocket, but I think that's just about him learning to play really, really smart. And he can do that. And if you again, by the way, if you hit a player outside the pocket, right. you know, when they're out of bounds, that's still a penalty. So it's still the quarterbacks are still very, very coddled. Well I'm here's here, I'm gonna do a one eighty on my point, even though I believe in my point. I really hope he makes it because it would be really fun to have a five foot eight quarterback. I want him. As to you know, up. I love weird. I I love the quarterback position when there's just a lot of. Oh yeah. Uh, it's eclectic. There's I have this guy and this guy and this tall guy and this little guy and this guy scrambles and. He's thrilling to be watch. Great. Like he's thrilling to I watch. I hope he makes it. I want him on the Giants. I want him and Odell and Saquon on the same offense. That's my fever dream. If he goes to the Giants, mm-hmm. what position does he play? From because Eli Manning is all time starter for them. Come on. It's time to move on from Eli Manning. I, I listen. I it was time to move on in 2015, but here I we are. I think we're going to have the the after what, what happened rather. with Joe Flacco last year is what's going to happen with Eli this year if they're smart and invest in a new. All right, here's ten through twenty. Who's Denver's ten? They're always not taking a five eight guy. There, could out. you imagine? Cincinnati's eleven. Green Bay twelve. No, Miami thirteen. That's where Danny Kelly had him going in our mock draft. Atlanta fourteen. No, Washington fifteen. Ah, I can fuck, see that. You're right. I, he is going to go in the 10 to 20 range. Carolina, 16. Cleveland, 17. Minnesota, 18. Tennessee, 19. Pittsburgh, 20. I don't know. I'm pro Josh Rosen, but I, I, I'm i not ruling out this Arizona Cardinals possibility. I'm really not. Cliff Kingsbury is obsessed with Kyler. Why Murray. are you pro Josh Rosen? Chosen Rosen? Yeah, why? It's, what did you see his rookie year that were you like, I'm pro Josh I, Rosen? Well, it's all for me what I saw his freshman year at UCLA, much like how I still Christian think about Hackenberg? Ben Hackenberg's yeah. freshman year at Penn State. Christian Hackenberg. <laughs> You know I love a one-time promising 
high school and then college quarterback. I think that Hackenberg and Rosen both had these things. So there were like very, very few good young quarterbacks for like seven years there. And so for a while in college football, it was just, oh my God, there's, here comes the next chosen one. And it was always like Hackenberg was like that. Rosen was like that. And we overrated these guys just because we were desperate for the next Andrew Luck. Never happened. The story and about Josh Rosen correcting the Elite 11 playbook is, for me, that, that'll keep the torch. Then Sunshine Ronnie Bass forever. came to, to Clemson. Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. He's incredible. He's he really not is. draft eligible for two years, right? Yeah, he was a true freshman this Mallard, year. Mallard, who are your five most handsome quarterbacks of all time? Ooh. Number one, Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. Number one. Wow, she said that so fast. Yeah, I know. He's really like she'd been waiting her whole life for somebody to ask her. He's just he's extremely handsome. It's like yeah. it's almost unbelievable. I'd have to think about that. That's why Brady had to get rid of him. Brady's very handsome. He's obviously insufferable. Brady's handsome, but, but he was like, I get rid of this guy. I'd ha- I have to give the list some thought. I'm not prepared to go off the dome for it. That's a serious question. Is Flacco in the top five? What? Handsome guy. Top five all time for you. Handsome, handsome guy, Joe Flacco. He's a handsome guy, but no, certainly not. That's. Darnold's not in the top five. I'm not going to comment. <laughs> um, what else will we work out with the NFL? Anything? Combine? Combine, then we'll hit the free Antonio agency. Brown saga, free agency. Crappy, we're, we're not far away from the draft. Here's the draft. If, if Clowney isn't tagged, there could be some good free agents. If he is, it could be kind of a crappy year. I was sad that Julius Peppers retired. Yeah. I really enjoyed the Julius Peppers. You just wanted era. him to keep going. I just I liked when he came into the league and it was like this guy. We've never seen an athlete yeah. like at this this position. It was just fun. Yeah, and also he now got, I feel now I feel like I'm old that he's retiring. Yeah, I don't like it because I felt like I was old when he came to the league and I was excited. I for feel him. like the, I feel like that with Dwayne Wade right now. Yeah, it's, I don't it's like tough. it. How I, old are you now? I'm 32. It's tough when the guys in your age range are at the tail end and you kind yeah. of look in the Makes mirror. Makes you think about life. Well, one thing, and I are the same age. The one thing I don't experience. recommend is getting into soccer because those guys are done yeah, at They're 29. done at like 24. Yeah, and you're just like, what? <laughs> and everybody who's good now was born in like 2001. Yeah. Just like, oh, this isn't good. I remember my guy was Ken Griffey. We had the same birthday. Oh. oh. And it was like, junior. And, Andrew McCutcheon and I. 19-year-old center fielder. Oh. And then it then. Went to the Reds. It's like, oh, Ken Griffey's getting old. Then it was like, all right, Ken Griffey's old. <laughs> this sucks. Yeah. Got to stop calling Bill, him the kid at a certain point. Yeah. I will say the good news about the Wade retirement is he's not bringing it up or bringing attention to it at all. <laughs> yeah, he's been yeah. very discreet. He's been very discreet. It's been a he's great not, job. He's not shoving it in our faces, so I haven't really had to face it's my mortality. It's been a great show. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Of course. Thanks for having Appreciate us. Appreciate it. We'll see where AB goes. I say Niners. All right, we're going to talk to Chris Ryan in a second. First, did you know not all alcohol products are required to list their ingredients? That was news to me. Bud Light is changing the game. They believe that we deserve to know our beer's ingredients, so they put an ingredients label right on their packaging. Bud Light brewed with hops, barley, water, and rice. No corn syrup, no preservatives, no artificial flavors. Find out what ingredients are in your beer, Bud Light. Enjoy responsibly. AB, Bud Light Beer, St. Louis, Missouri. Here's a little insider travel secret from our friends at Hotel Tonight. There are tons of empty hotel rooms out there just waiting to be booked. Hotel Tonight has partnered with these awesome hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, which means you get incredible deals. Forget scrolling through never-ending lists. Hotel Tonight shows you a select list of incredible deals at cool hotels they think you'll love. Short profiles of each hotel, all the info you need, pictures of what the rooms really look like. You can arrange it by price, high price down to low or budget deals, um, luxury deals, whatever you want. 
Hotel Tonight, it is a great app that they keep improving over and over again. Perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways, three-day weekends, business trips, 24-hour trips with your daughter. She plays club soccer. To start scoring amazing deals and incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app right now. All right, we're taping this uh, Wednesday during the day. It's running late Wednesday night because there's no urgency because there's no NBA. Chris Ryan is here. We have Sean Fennessy coming up a little bit later, as well as Kevin Clark and Mally Rubin. We're going to be talking about football and basketball. Chris Ryan here right now. We ran a piece today called the NBA Take Meter, the stretch run. Yeah. Which I thought was smart. And the takes were, you know, stuff like the Lakers will miss the playoffs. Right. And then we rated those takes with like a variety of feelings of confidence. Like how confident are you in this take? The Lakers are favored now to miss the playoffs. Yeah. Which I did. I actually put together a little document because Sal and House and I were trying to decide who to bet on to miss the playoffs. I love that you're spending your free time this way. Yeah, it was it was late at night. <laughs> They were, I'm sorry, yes to make the playoffs, plus 125, no to make the playoffs, minus 145. Since December 10th, they are 11 and 19. Do you, so wait, your free time, you spend basically watching Sopranos and putting together Google Docs about gambling. Maybe doing both of those at the same time. You're, you're really, de- the depravity is, is settling in now. <laughs> well, here's the other thing. The Kings were plus 400 to make the playoffs. Uh-huh. The Kings since, uh, January 7th, they're 11 and 7. They just traded for Harrison Barnes. They have no incentive to lose since they don't have their first round pick. And I actually think with the with the style they play and the energy they have at home and stuff, it's the kind of team that's going to get better the last couple months. Yeah. I thought that was crazy. Talk about like bias against the team, right? Where it's like on the one hand, you have LeBron. I was like, oh, LeBron, he's the best. Then Sacramento's like, oh, they stink. But just looking at the rosters, how would anybody think the Lakers are going to make the the playoffs over Sacramento? What do you think? I also think that the Lakers just have like a catastrophically bad defense without Lonzo. Yeah, you know when does he come back? A couple couple weeks. I think he's practicing. Maybe he's getting getting close. I'm not really sure when he gets back. But they but that corresponds with also we got our first like well you know LeBron's groin isn't all the way better yet stories. You know? Yeah, that groin is just well electro electrolysis it so much <laughs> seemed okay in the all-star game though yeah it seemed fine um do you do the lakers miss the playoffs i think that they do yeah i think that they do i think that this is like i i, I don't see the, how you flip you you flip a switch with this team of of kind of like the rejects and the kids like it's going to be really hard for him to do it i mean maybe he "Quote unquote," gets and a coach healthy. that's in trouble. Yeah, a coach who does not like what's he? What's what's Luke really coaching for here? You know what I mean? Where is he trying to save his job? Is he trying to teach the kids? Is he trying to keep LeBron happy? Can you do all three at once? The case for it would be he did this last year and he flipped the switch mm-hmm. and, and got them through it. I uh, we ran a piece by Zach Cram this week about the best players to miss the playoffs, and the best player who ever missed the playoffs was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Until this season, if LeBron doesn't make it. Mm-hmm. But Kareem, in 75 and 76, didn't make it either year. His last Bucks season, they'd made the finals the year before. And uh, Oscar Robertson, I think, retired. And then Lucius Allen got hurt. They had no point guard. They ended up going like 38 and 44. And he was putting up like 30 and 15 every night. It was just like, it was basically like a Pelican situation. And then the Lakers traded for him that summer 
but they traded basically all of their assets. So he goes to the Lakers, doesn't make it again. So he missed the playoffs two years in a row. In his prime, he was the third best player of all time. I think LeBron's second. I've, I've basically netted out it. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. If they make the playoffs or if they get like the seven seed somehow, I think they could go to the conference finals. You know, like once he's in the playoffs, I think all bets are off. And they have three-point shooting. You could argue maybe there's some another buyout guy that we don't know that might be coming at some point. I think they're pretty flawed defensively, though. It is really easy to score 128 against them. Which if he's means not that he has aggressive, yeah. It's like it, you just saw that. And I mean, I know that they were sagging a lot in the Sixers game, for instance, but yeah. that was just like there was a playground defending going on there. I've seen better defending in pickup games, honestly. All right. So we both think they're going to miss the playoffs. The second, uh, the second one, the second take from the take meter was that if James Harden averages 37 a game, he's the MVP. So the thing that's at stake for him is the non-center scoring record of all time, which is held by MJ. MJ is like 37-something. He has a chance to have the greatest scoring season anyone's ever had. Windhorse today, our friend Brian Windhorse, wrote a piece about Giannis versus Harden, how this was becoming the subplot of All-Star Weekend. Uh, People are arguing about Giannis is the traditional two-way player. Yeah, that's the basketball I was taught to play. And then Harden is the, I just put everyone else on my back for us to make the playoffs. And it's like a great old school MVP argument. I personally think the Bucs are going to end up winning 63 to 64 games. If you look at their schedule, if you look at their point differential, if you just look at the way they've been handling their business, they have a chance to win 30 road games, Mm -hmm. which is really impressive. Um, and then they're in a conference where like six teams are tanking by, you know, March, April. Right. Whereas Houston, I don't really see a roadmap for them to get to even the four seed. It really seems like maybe they get to four seed, but they're not definitely not going to be top three seed. They're probably going to finish around 48, 49 wins. And I don't think what he's doing is sustainable. And I don't think he wants it to be sustainable. He started to make noises yeah, about that. Sp- I mean, like now in this day and age, like, of course you get like really freaked out whenever something like this happens. But Harden was basically talking about like, he has to do this because of like the situation he finds himself in. It's a burden. And then there was that video that basically like showed up online of, I think it was Steph talking to Bud, coach of the Bucks. And Steph says that Harden told him, I kind of wish I could just play in like a beautiful basketball system, but this is what we we are, the situation I find myself in. I have to take this load myself. I'm in an unassisted assist situation. Right. Um, I think he settles at around 36. Because part of the thing with the Rockets, Capella comes back. Yeah. I think tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. They have to get Chris Paul going. They have to figure out when Chris gets switched on the on big guys, can he consistently destroy them like he was doing the last couple of years? And Harden's got to sacrifice some of that offense. So I think he tails off a little, and I think Giannis ascends. Mm-hmm. And I think at some point we're going to look at this and go, wow, the Bucks have a chance to go 64 and 18? Like, holy shit. People will start writing about them historically as a top 15 team. What happens if uh, Paul George has a march like the February he just had. I think it's already a win for Paul George. Being in the 2017 Kawhi spot of award season. Yeah. We're like Zach Lowe. Shout out to Zach. Zach will pick him for MVP. Yeah. He's the best two-way player in the Like that it's he's already won. Okay. Yeah, he's win. He's he's gonna be the critically acclaimed MVP candidate. Uh Take three on the take meter was the Sixers are the best team in the East. 
I don't believe this. I think it's ludicrous. Shock. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> take four, Al Horford, the most valuable Celtic. He Let's was, not wait. We're not going to talk about the Sixers, but we're going to spend time talking no, about whether Al Horford about is the best. Oh, I don't my care. God. I will blow by this too. Al Horford, the most valuable Celtic. I felt that way that last year. I felt that way this year. I feel that way right now. Yes. They need him in the playoffs more than any other player. They do you can patch do- anything together except for if Al Horford is in there. Do your Kyrie thing. I just wanted him to stop talking. Yeah, so we just, like this, today just as stop. we recorded, the Rachel Nichols interview came out. Where Five he's- minute interview talking about how hard the season's been and the young guys and just shut up. Stop talking. Doesn't help anyone. Really, stop. This is not like a shut up and dribble. This is just like a stop talking. <laughs> You're not helping. Guess what? Nobody wants to hear yet another rant about how hard the season's been. The season's not hard. You're getting paid $25 million a year. You're in a top five team. What's hard about this? Jalen Brown's upset. He only got six shots in a game. This is like traumatizing. Shut up. That's my take. Good. Thanks. I just wanted to hear that. Leadership is not every two weeks I'm going to throw under the bus everyone under 23 who's playing for me. Yeah. And talk about how they just don't get it. By the it, way, play pretty well when you're not there. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, he's only three years older than him. Yeah. So, man, these young guys. Yeah. It's like, you're 26. You don't know anything. You, you were at Duke for a year. What we're, we're, we're weathered experience does Kyrie Irving have? Because you were in a couple finals? Stop talking. Anyway. <laughs> um, oh, that's it for the take corner. Yeah. I, I want to talk about the. <laughs> I backed you into that one. <laughs> you really did. Well, you love this. Me? I'm at the point now where on July 1st, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be in a black town car driving Kyrie to the airport. Before the Sixers game last week, I believe you said, I've moved on to the Red Sox. I did. Yes. Right. I still love the Celtics. Okay. It's my, you know. Yeah. I love that team. I just feel like some people are not meant to be leaders. And that's just the way it is. And unfortunately, Kyrie's I think one Kyrie of those people. Kyrie might agree with you now. I think that that's sort of where this is all coming from. I mean, you could make the argument that all of this is the breadcrumb trail for him to leave Boston, that this is why like, he's not comfortable there because there's too many people there who want too much of the pie. But I think ultimately, like, he had his run as like the team leader, and it's not suiting him. And now he's going to go share it with another guy of his... So you think that there's some sabotage here for him? He's like the guy in a relationship who's being mean to his college girlfriend because he really wants to just break up. So what do we have like as evidence so far? Like there's like the Gordon Hayward final shot thing where he flipped out on, on court, right? I mean, there's honestly been six interviews. And then multiple season. interviews where he's just like, I had to call LeBron to apologize because it's so hard. That was the craziest. Yeah. I had to call LeBron to apologize because now that I'm in the same situation he was in where he's got these dumb young guys who think they know everything. And I was that dumb young guy once. I honestly, so I called him for advice. This is the closest I've ever felt to being Daniel Caffey and you're Nathan <laughs> Jessup. <laughs> and I'm just, I just know you want to say you ordered the code red. <laughs> I love watching Kyrie. Yeah. I just think some people aren't meant to be leaders. And it's funny. It's become this huge polarizing thing with the Celtic fan base. And some people are saying they're better off without them. Then other people are like, that's insane. Look at the efficiency numbers. I think they're absolutely better off with them. But he has to figure out how to, how to just kind of fit in as the best guy in the team that's also not overpowering over else of the team on the court and off the court. I love Al Horford. She's a great guy. <laughs> You know who's not giving interviews about the young Celtics? Al Horford. What has Al Horford said this year? Man, these young guys, 
They just got to get their shit together. Um, can we talk about Donahue really fast? Sure. You got to go Go for it. So, um, as we're talking fantasy answer, because we're about to redo the 2014 Oscars, just briefly wanted to mention this Donahue story that uh, ESPN broke last week where they spent two years studying all uh, all the games that he ref, not just in 06, just a couple days ago, right? Yeah. yeah. But going back, like basically a four-year pattern where they they investigated it and found out he'd been gambling, all this stuff. And there were two revelations in there. First of all, I was not surprised at all to hear that he was betting on games because everybody knew that who knew anything. Um, the thing that shocked me was how the NBA handled it. And that was like the hidden thing in this piece that I don't want to say people miss because it was out there a little bit, but um, basically the FBI went to the NBA and said, we have this guy. We think this happened. Um, and we're, we want to proceed with a, like a bigger, deeper investigation. We want him to wear a wire. At this point, it was like top secret. Four weeks later, the story gets leaked that Donahue is being investigated. And in this piece, the FBI side is basically like, we think the NBA leaked it. It wasn't going to come out. They leaked it because they didn't want us to investigate the other refs. I thought that was shocking. I couldn't believe it because, all right, so why would the NBA do that? This is where Chris barely read the story and he's, <laughs> he's staring at me. Um, why would the NBA do that though? All right. Either A, they just don't want their other referees to get investigated, or B, they just want the story to go away and paint him as a rogue official, which is what happened over the next year where they they basically, they started with the premise, this guy was a rogue yeah, official who's acting alone. alone. And, had, had debts. And he was a yeah. bad guy and he's a liar. And and then let's, let's kind of sweep this under the rug. And it does feel like this was swept under the rug a little bit. And I was really surprised that ESPN wrote that story when we are now in this era of nobody wants to piss off their partners, they spent two years investigating what I think is like the third rail for the NBA. Because in retrospect, what we would have to go back and like reevaluate some of the games that he did. Yeah. He was in playoff games. And, yeah. um, and also like how, so one of the things that that story covered was just how easy it is for referee to fix a game. Yes. If they really wanted to. And this is was the lesson of this Donahue thing, which is one of his tricks in the story was that he called an illegal defense early in the game. Because if you call it early, then you can basically call it whenever you want as the game goes along. It also makes teams act a little differently. Um, said how, you know, get somebody in foul trouble, two quick fouls in mm -hmm. 40 seconds. Yeah. Um, that was another one of his tricks. Pointed out this Andre Iguodala game where he did that. Um also talked about how he would talk to the other refs about certain things he wanted to push forward and kind of like Jedi mind trick the refs on, we got to, Shaq's getting away with that elbow. We got to call that this game. Um, and then just the the sheer magnitude of the calls that he was making where they did, it was like he was 23 and four, where it was just completely unrealistic how one-sided it was. Right. So I think it was a, a worthy time to write this piece where in 2019, as we head into the next decade and sports gambling is becoming a bigger and bigger thing, like this is something we kind of have to worry about a little bit here. Not just referees, but like long snappers and back, yeah. ju back judges yeah. in football. And 
you know, a left-handed reliever who's going to pitch to one batter and who makes $220,000 a year in game five of the World Series. And this this is why it took so long no, for I mean, gambling to become a, legal. It's a major issue in, in Europe, in European soccer, where- Oh my God, in tennis? They, yeah, when they, where, where gambling is much more pervasive and you can make bets on basically any corner in a, of, a, of a European city on, on any game you want. And it's a big issue. What's been the biggest scandal in soccer? Um, I mean- there's a lot of suspicious stuff and there's a lot of stuff that's rumored. I guess the gosh, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff with Italy. There's a lot of like it, it, Italy stuff where, where there's been huge scandals. There was also like something really weird recently where like a team got beat 20, nothing in like a Serie B or Serie C like game. And it was just very suspicious. And they fielded like seven players or something. Oh, I, Jesus. It was some weird thing. They but, always thought tennis was the easiest one to fix because people just bet tennis every day, to f- 52 weeks a year. It's always on. There's always games and more games and more games and more games or matches. And uh, it's just so easy to tweak an outcome in tennis. Yeah. Like, oh, I hurt my calf. Oh, I have to resign in the second set. Or... um Oh, I you basically could tank three points. It's individual in pressure rather than depending on team pressure. Golf doesn't make sense to fix because, you know, how would you? Unless somebody was betting, would do will you make the cut or not? But yeah. that would be if somebody's betting a million dollars on that, that becomes suspicious. Right. Basketball. I mean, Donahue, I have in my page two archives in 07, he refed some of those Suns Spurs games. And there was one game that was so egregiously officiated that I actually I did like a blog post the day after and I put all three officials names in the post and Donahue was one of the names. And it was like, this is so bad. This will go down in history as one. Of, and it's like, blah, 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 blah. And Tim Donahue. <laughs> wow. And this was during the year that he fixed the game. So it's like, shit. So I, this is the third rail for the NBA. They This is the, the three things for them are Kobe's trial, Donahue and the Artest Melee are the, the, the three-headed Mount Rushmore of things the NBA hopes never comes up again. So I was really surprised that Pin wrote this. Yeah, it was fascinating that it came up. I mean, it was very specifically placed during this dead period of the season after the All-Star game, before the games start back up again. People are just sitting around waiting for stuff to happen, and this drops. So if Soderbergh was doing High Flying Bird 2, but it was about a rogue referee <laughs> fixing NBA games. Is that your all-time wheelhouse movie? Yeah, who would play Donnie? It's like Forget Paris crossed with... I always felt like Chris Parnell could play Tim Donnie. <laughs> Chris Parnell? Yeah. Is he too old now? Yeah, probably, but he looks a little bit like... What about him. Chris Pratt? No. No, he'd be like... Because like, he needed to be heroic. Hmm. Think about that. If you have any suggestions for who should play Donnie in the movie. All right, uh, we're going to take a break. Coming up... A redo of the 2014 Oscars. All right, Sean's coming in to do the five-year Oscars. First, getting tickets online can be far too complicated with hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability. Hard to know who to trust. As you know, SeatGeek, the, the way to go. They put millions of tickets in one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. Designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever by searching multiple ticket sites, grading every ticket based on value. SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Every purchase fully guaranteed. Oh yeah. You can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. I've had it for years. I check it sometimes just because I'm a weirdo. I like to see, I was in Sundance. I didn't even want to go to a jazz game. I was just curious how many people have their tickets for jazz games on SeatGeek. And I looked and there was like nobody because people in Utah are lunatics and they they just want to go to jazz games. Other times, you'll you'll be surprised 
not only what the deals are, but you know, SeatGeek has the color coded maps. You can look for the darker ones are always good. Like that's a great, you're getting a great deal. Just enjoyable. They do a good job. My listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code BS today. Again, promo code BS for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life is an event and we have the tickets. All right, we do this every year, right around Oscars time. It's a tradition that goes back to the late 1980s. Me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fennessy on this podcast. Um, <laughs> back in the wait, 80s. <laughs> when we were doing this podcast in the late 1980s? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Good times. I don't know any better. I was yeah. 11. <laughs> we were just... <laughs> we had yeah. this idea back in Grantland, the five-year Oscars, which was basically... Everyone complains about the Oscars. It's too reactionary. The, the PR pressure and all that stuff can sway it to, you really need a couple of years to sit back, almost like with the Hall of Fame in baseball. You need the five years to really, let's take a breath. Let's really reassess what happened here. And we thought with the Oscars, what a great, they should hand out the Oscars five years later instead of right after, because then we would really have a chance to, you know, think about, how we felt about this movie as the years pass, rewatching it, noticing things maybe we didn't notice the first, second, or third passes, and so on. So we're going to do this with the 2014 Oscars, which was the 2013 movie season. Good movie year, was it? I, it, I, I when it, I was it looking at last night, cold. Well, uh, I would say it's a good movie year beyond the stuff that was nominated for Oscars. There's a bunch of stuff in there that I'm I'm, I'm a fan of. Yeah, I would say this podcast next year is going to be awesome because 2014 was a great movie year. 2013 is a cool movie year, but a bad Oscars year, I would say. I left me cold. So here are the winners for the for the audience listening at home. 12 Years a Slave won for Best Picture. Matthew McConaughey won for Dallas Buyers Club. That has not aged well. Kate Blanchett for Blue Jasmine. Sure. Jared Leto for Dallas Buyers Club. That has not aged well. And Lupita Nyong'o, 12 Years a Slave. That's aged nicely. Alfonso Cuaron won for Gravity, Best yeah. Director. And then Frozen won for Best Animated, which I think out of all of this has aged the best because everybody loves Frozen. I have a, a, a announcement to make that I'm going to be doing a breakaway rewatchables that's just about the Croods. <laughs> it's going to be... <laughs> yeah, not a lot of legacy on the Croods. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Best Picture had nine nominees, and I can't believe five of them were in this category. 12 Years a Slave won it. American Hustle, Captain Phillips. Captain Phillips. Dallas Buyers Club, Gravity, Her. Her. Yeah. Her. Nebraska, Philomena, and The Wolf of Wall Street. How many of those are you good with five years later? Mm. Twelve Years a Slave, Gravity, Her. Good with her, and and The Wolf of Wall Street. That's it. You'd bump everyone else. I think Captain Phillips is a is a pretty nifty movie. I think it's really well made and actually fun to watch, despite what it's about the gravity of its of its storyline. These other movies are traditional classic like Oscar bait ish movies, and I don't think they're very effective or memorable. Nebraska. I didn't really like when it happened, but it was during the Alexander Payne, everything he was doing, everybody was just excited about. We're still in that moment, except for downsizing. Alexander I Payne's think downsizing great. killed the moment. Yeah, I just think he hasn't been, I don't know. I mean, there was a lot of love for The Descendants and there was some love for the earlier movies like Election yeah. and Citizen Ruth, but 
I don't think he was ever fully properly recognized. And so he did, did about Schmidt get nominations beyond Nicholson? Uh, some writing nominations okay. and sideways obviously got nominated for best picture too. So there what you're right, Bill, there was a time when he just, if he put a movie out, it was getting nominated for best picture. So you're okay with her. That's a movie I would never watch again. I love that movie. Okay. Um, I think it's a little, it doesn't have a strong legacy because Spike Jones hasn't made a movie since. So he's not, he isn't creating like this arc over his career. He was working on the Viceland network and yeah. you know, he's made commercials. He won a, he won a director's guild award this year for directing an Apple commercial. Mm-hmm. But if he had put out, let's say he'd made two movies like the way that uh, Quaron did or Scorsese or somebody in that time, you'd be like Spike Jones. He's one of the 20 best living filmmakers in the world. But we don't think of him that way as much now. So her doesn't have as strong a legacy. What do you think, Chris? Um, so are you asking me which movies I still stick with or which movies? Yeah, I- which, which ones would you bump? Oh, I would blunt like, like some whammies. Uh, Philomena, I would get rid of. Dallas, I think, has not aged well. And um, I mean, American Hustle is fascinating, but is is not, I don't think, a very good movie. That was kind of like an NBA All-Star game type of situation. Yes. Just yes. a lot of people everybody liked making a weird movie and people were like, cool. There was just like it's- five too many choices made in that movie. And I was watching like a little bit of it last night. And Cooper is like, doing some stuff there but like yeah. he's also like I have to have a perm and an accent and I gotta live with my mom <laughs> and it's just like there's just too much stuff happening it's like you can't have a comb over and Bradley Cooper with a perm and people doing five different accents and then Renner you know what I mean like there's just too much I forgot Jeremy Renner was in that movie yeah I think it's funny sometimes. and Lawrence like Did a movie should, like yeah. that I think people just appreciate that it happened mm-hmm <clears throat> it's an actor showcase. Yeah. You know, it lets, it's like, oh, that was fun. Thanks, guys. Yeah. It's not a good very, effort. It's an, it's not rewatchable, I would say. It's also not it's like the fifth best movie for everybody involved, which is never a good thing. You know, you want people kind of at their peak. And it's not Bale at his peak. It's not Amy Adams at his peak. It's not David O. Russell uh at his peak. Like it's just not any of those figures. So I don't know. It's a little bit of a Frankenstein together thing that just feels like very Scorsese over here and very Cameron Crow over here and there's just a lot of pulling from a lot of different sources that never totally comes together. I, uh, I'm okay. I mean, 12 years of slave absolutely should be in this. I'm okay with American hustle. Captain Phillips is weird. It's, it's weird that have that you, got nominated for an Oscar a second time. It was good. I mean, it's Paul Greengrass. Who's a very respected filmmaker and it's Tom Hanks doing a movie star part. It was good. So I, I, I love that movie. But like I mean, Mission, I saw it Mission Impossible times. Fallout was really good too. That didn't get nominated. <laughs> it's fucking bullshit that it wasn't nominated. Yeah. <laughs> but it, that's what I don't get. It's like, if we're yeah. going to nominate that, then Mission Impossible absolutely should have made it this well, year. That movie is, was amazing. One thing's a docudrama based on a true story about real people and a real conflict. And Somali Pirates was a very hot story in international news the, a few years before this movie came out. And Mission Impossible Fallout is about guys wearing masks. So like, why do we take things seriously and other things not is always up for debate. But I do know why Fallout isn't nominated and this was nominated. Fallout should have been nominated. I agree. You agree with that? Yeah, Fallout should have been nominated. Well, relative to the other stuff we're looking at, yeah. you know? I'm just, there's so many mediocre movies. But I don't think that there's anything picture. wrong with Captain Phillips being nominated. I, think, I thought it was an excellent movie. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. I just, I guess I don't know what the line is with sometimes when they pick this stuff. Because to me, it's like, there's like two or three Captain Phillips type movies every year, or at least one. And sometimes they get nominated and sometimes they don't. Like, they're kind of action thrillers. They're just really well-done action thrillers with good actors. And sometimes that matters and sometimes that doesn't. And there's no rhyme or reason to it. Uh, Dallas Buyers Club, I didn't really like when it happened. And I, I felt like McConaughey lost a lot of weight for it. And that became, 
and McConaughey was having a moment and people just liked him and it was like, cool. So McConaughey is a serious actor and this is great. And I just don't think that movie has aged well. And I don't think we'll speak of it, you know, really at all 20 years from now. What no, but it did launch John Mark Valle's career to some extent. And he's become like quietly one of the most important filmmakers just because of what he does in television as well. Like even if he's not your bag, like he, that guy gets like a lot of stuff on screen that, that, and I think Big Little Lies and and Sharp Objects are like, kind of have like changed the trajectory of HBO in some ways. And it's, it's really fascinating to see where he's going with his career. Sean? It's a very similar story to Captain Phillips. It's based on a true story and it's based, am I getting that right? It's based, yeah, it is. Definitely. It's based on a real guy's life. Oh, and, 100% it yeah, is. Yeah, and I think there, there's obviously like a lot of complications around the gender dynamics and who gets to play what kind of character in the world that's a little bit more fraught with the Jared Leto thing and that potentially is not going to age well. But even aside from that stuff, Jean-Marc Vallée has this very beautiful, impressionistic style of movie making, but it doesn't make for highly rewatchable movies. So the more time goes by, the less likely you are to return to it. He made Wild right after this, the Reese Witherspoon movie, yeah. which was also at the time was, I like that was praised and, and, and you know based on a beloved true story written by uh, Cheryl Strayed. It just, I, there's something kind of ephemeral about the movie itself. Like you, you're not... It's not involving, it's just a showcase. And a lot of Oscar movies are like that. They're just showcases for people doing stuff. And Matthew McConaughey and, and Jared Leto, are, they're such showy performances. You know, there's nothing subtle about this movie at all. It's like somebody is sick and somebody uh, is, in, is in a crazy costume and somebody is doing an accent they've never done before. And that's just like, that's what Oscars always rewards. Well, I don't like it that much. <laughs> I thought the movie was worth watching. Yeah, of course. And it was good. And McConaughey's really good in it. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's it's a tradition, it's a classical Oscar movie that, like you say, just I, is not going to have a lot of memory five years from now. I feel like your gravity take is going to be like your Kyrie take. I'm getting ready for it. The Kyrie thing was not a take. <laughs> so what's your gravity take? You don't, you don't leave people by constantly <laughs> complaining about them. I'm, just, I'm sorry. It's not a take. That's a fact. Interesting. Um, gravity, I really liked. And I think it's aged well. I liked it in the moment. I like seeing big stars in really well done movies. And uh, I was okay with it. I unambiguously love this movie. Yeah. Like, I just think it's like technical achievement, movie star performance, great it's story. It's fucking cool. It's a, it's a constant, how are they doing this movie? Really awesome, like, reason to go to a movie theater. Yeah. You're like, oh, wow. How'd they do that? I don't how'd like they do study this? it. I haven't watched it that many times since it came out. I just remember being absolutely blown away by it. Such a good it. movie theater movie. It's good. Uh, <laughs> How can you watch Gravity and be like, it's good? Well, it, it's a it's truly a theatrical experience. Uh, yes. I did rewatch it. I, try, I rewatched all of Cuaron's movies this month before the Oscars for Roma. And it, the script, I don't think, is very good. And I think it's the pacing is kind of weird when you're not watching it in a theater. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't watched it since I saw it in a movie theater. In the movie theater... I completely agree. It is one of the most memorable experiences. It was basically I've ever like had. an IMAX movie. Yes. Yeah, it was. It yeah. was like an IMAX movie with a script. Uh, he's he is a master. I just don't know if it's a movie that I want to return to. Now that doesn't mean sure. that it shouldn't be rewarded here. I think that the Twelve Years a Slave versus Gravity race was one of the more interesting races that we've had in recent years, and like yeah. identifies a little bit of the crisis that the Oscars is in right now where a lot of people saw Gravity it was a huge hit, and they tune in to see if Gravity's going to win, and then it doesn't win, and they're like. What's this other movie? And then they walk away confused. Now, that's not us. We think and talk about the Oscars all the time, but it does raise some interesting convulsions about the Academy. Her? 
You're okay with this being nominated? Yeah, I said I love Spike Jones. You yeah. are too, Chris? This is a great movie. Nebraska? I'd be kind of curious out. to see what would happen if her came out in 2019, out. though. Probably and the last one is uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, so this is the one I wanted to talk about. Yeah. I think this is aged in the most interesting way of any of these movies of the last five years, I, other than a couple that we haven't mentioned yet. I thought that this movie was criminally misunderstood upon release. Uh, it's like it's like this basically being like, uh, it was like somehow like an extension of Entourage or something. Like, look how cool this is. This is such so badass what these guys did. Yeah. And it was like, I think it's kind of like hard sometimes when you say to somebody they don't like a movie and you're like, well, you do understand it is a comedy, right? Like, that it's a satire. And like, I think people didn't understand that Scorsese and DiCaprio were actively like lampooning and making fun of these people and like trying to show how grotesque capitalism is. And it got kind of distorted as like, oh God, why would I want to see another movie about like these corporate assholes? But I, I think that this is the movie that aged the best out of this group. It it is it suffered from the same criticisms that I think a lot of Scorsese's movies about gangsters suffer from, which is this perception that he's glorifying people who do bad things, but he just has this incredible rock and roll style of movie making that it gets you excited to watch movies. That doesn't necessarily mean he's approving of the actions of the people. It's funny this year. I feel like Vice came under the same fire. There, were, I, I read a lot of criticism about that movie where people said this movie tries to make us think Dick Cheney was cool because he sought power. And if that's your takeaway from Vice, I don't. I honestly don't know what movie you were watching. Right. But it, it, it was. It's exactly what you're saying with Wolf of Wall Street, Chris, where people were like, Jordan Belfort is a piece of garbage who ruined people's lives, and we shouldn't make him seem like somebody who would resemble Leonardo DiCaprio. And it's just a. It's like a perception thing. How do it, you think about the movie? In a lot of ways, also, this movie is as physically demanding to watch as Gravity. Like it's a very <laughs> long movie with these very intense sequences uh, that like really challenge you as a viewer. So that, I think that's what killed it. It was too long. Too long. I was it like it three hours? Three hours. Yeah. Two hours and 59 minutes. It was just too long. And and it's three hours of like cocaine cinema. It's not like three hours just, of like, oh, just, this is pretty like cool. Like, like it was, big, gru- I, I'm going to use the word grueling. I love that. Grueling about to watch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this one kind of falls under the famous, would this have been a Netflix series uh, question that you always ask on the rewatch? Oh, this is 100% would have you know? been better as a six episode Netflix series. Yeah. I mean, and, and shows like Succession are kind of about these sorts of people. And there's obviously, and billions too, there's obviously interest in this kind of like high toned wealth porn that also doubles as commentary on how bad people are that pursue wealth porn. Um, the other thing is, it took criticism at the time, and vinyl was the worst version of this, but being Scorsese karaoke a little bit. And I think uh, that was my reaction the first time I watched it, was I felt like it was Scorsese had been uh, artificial intelligence and some computer was making some of the choices of like pulling from 40 years of Scorsese, basically. I feel like there's karaoke is an interesting word because sometimes you can go to a karaoke bar and you'd rather hear some drunk guy sing Pearl Jam karaoke than hear the real version of a Taylor Swift song. You yeah. know, like, I, and that's- <laughs> to, pull, kind of, to pull an example completely out well, of nowhere. You know, it's just in a random. But I mean, I personally would just much rather watch karaoke Scorsese than 96% of other films. I'm just more interested in the you. kinds of movies he makes. Yeah, I think that, also- That goes for both kinds. That is, goes for silence too. There's also in this- best picture category is the Scorsese karaoke is American Hustle. Like American Hustle yeah. is the like 
let's do a Led Zeppelin drop and have people walk into a room in slow motion and everybody is saying things like, we got to get over on all these guys. And like, it's like, it has that kind of tough guy talk. I, I think it's interesting. You, you identify this in vinyl. Terrence Winter wrote both of those. those yeah. were, you know, he wrote Wolf, he wrote vinyl. I'm, your mileage may vary. I, I happen to think that Wolf of Wall Street is, is just like a pretty amazing black comedy. And it's one of my, like, one of the best Jonah Hill I was just going to say, Jonah Hill's so great in this movie. So funny. So my question is, if this movie is two hours, 23 minutes, I think it's remembered in a, in a little more fondly. Because I think people watch this once and then that was it. And I think it's, it's also a problem is, like, it, the climax in. of this movie is him having a Quaaludes episode where he can't get into it. Kyle likes it. Yeah. <laughs> that part's great. <laughs> yeah, I think... um. There's a couple things though to mention about this. One, it was a huge hit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, three-hour movie about a stockbroker. Crazy, huge hit. Testament to the power of Leo. Yeah, yeah, Leo and and the kind of like the the Kanye West song in the trailer Mm -hmm. and the kind of energy. The music in this movie is incredible. You know, it's the classic like uh, Robbie Robertson just pulling from 50 years of rock and roll and hip hop history and just inserting it into the movie. Great Kyle Chandler heat check in this movie. I don't know. I really, I really like Burnt Wall Street. Also, Martin Scorsese was like 75 years old when he made this. <laughs> you can't underestimate that. I'm 36 and I'm like exhausted every day. How did he make a, such like a rocking, long, epic story at that age? It's really impressive. We all love Bernthal at The Ringer. Yeah. And I think we have to legally adopt him. Um, I don't think he would accept that. I think he's, he's pretty bare knuckled these days. I don't know. Have you seen Widows yet? It's yeah, pretty, he's pretty, good in pretty it. Pretty tough performance. Oh, I thought this. you meant like he already has an allegiance to another editorial co- Like he's a, he's Team Atlantic. Oh, he's, no. <laughs> <laughs> that would hurt my feelings. For, he's for, in a movie with The Rock that I really like. What's that movie with The Rock when he has to like drive a rig? What's that movie, Kyle? Oh, oh, I know what you're talking about. He's good in that movie. I, oh. That's that's a, like a borderline rewatchable for me. That's like in that <laughs> shooter class of. Oh yeah. When I see shooter, I'm like, okay. That's not walking snitch, tall, is it? No. Snitch. Snitch. Yeah. He's good. I think that was the same year as this movie. I like Snitch. That's when The Rock's son gets gets arrested, right? And he has to go yeah. in and extract snitch is him. Good. Uh all right. A couple movies that didn't get best picture uh attention. There's one outrageous omission that really offended me, and I can't believe they fucked this up. And I think it's one of the five best and longest lasting movies of this year, The Conjuring. The Conjuring. I think The Conjuring was fucking great. And horror movies never get attention ever. I think it's one of the eight or nine best horror movies of all time. Hugely influential. Exceptionally well done. Really well acted. You could make a case Vera Farmiga should have gotten nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, and just got overlooked. So Yes or no, Fantasy? I think that there's definitely an interesting case to be made for it that definitely was not made for it at the time. Yeah. And in a post-Get Out world, might have. Yeah. I, I think... I've talked about this on podcasts before, but the Conjuring universe, quote unquote, is legitimately the most successful non-fast, non-superhero franchise in the world. The Annabelle movies are a part of this. The Curse of La Llorona that's coming out this summer. The Nun that came out last year. All of those movies are all connected to The Conjuring. The Conjuring 2 I actually think is better than the first Conjuring. Yeah, that's the one in England, right? Yeah. Yeah. but you're but right that it is like kind of an important movie in it's movie an important history. Movie. Uh, it it the, it doesn't have one thing that I think a movie like Captain Phillips does have, which like it doesn't really tell us anything about anything. It's just a it's just like a fun, well made horror movie. I but I think for me, 
it signifies the shift of what happened in horror movies this decade. Like mm. the moment The Conjuring comes out, we have now officially moved away from Saw and torture porn. Right. And we're moving into the, there's something wrong with the house. There's something wrong with my daughter. There's something wrong with my car. Just this whole supernatural world. And this, The Conjuring 1 and 2 is still the best version of it, I think. You're, I, I, I've watched all of them. It's a really good case. Um, those we, are. We even watched Open House on Netflix this week, which is the worst one of all of them. And if you ever <laughs> want to watch an incoherent, awful movie, watch Open House on Netflix. It is another Something's Wrong with the House movie. But Conjuring started this. I mean, it didn't start it because like Amy DeVohar did it in the 70s, but like The Conjuring, I guess, brought it back. It was the most polished, well-made version of this movie that had come well along. Well acted. Come along, yeah. And I, I mean, you know, it's it's like B-level movie stars are partaking in it. They're taking it very seriously. It, it's it's definitely aspiring to more like The Exorcist than it is to something like Paranormal Activity. Yeah. So I think that, I think it's a that's a good case for it, especially when you look back on like Philomena and American Hustle movies that were like, who cares about these movies? We uh, don't think about them. Second one, The Counselor. Thoughts? That would never get nominated, but that'll definitely be like the the rewatchables that you and I do that gets this company shut down. <laughs> but I, think, I, I at least would want to be a part of that one. I love The Counselor. I think that'll be ten years from now one of the most respected movies from this year. I think it's gonna be obsessed over i don't know about respected like it's really really weird to the point of obscurity um it's just it's it is similarly like the wolf of wall street though like an old guy being like fuck it i'm putting all my cards on the table right like here are all my moves and they're all really weird indecipherable what that like that movie is actually like as somebody who loves cormac mccarthy and ridley scott and texas drug stories and everything that's basically it took me like three viewings to be like oh that's the story i actually had to read the screenplay to be like oh Diamonds, I got it. Okay, cool. Like you watch it, you're just like, wow, that guy just got his head cut off. I don't know why. Our girl's in that. Cam Diaz? Cam. Yeah. This is a it's good Cam. This is a very this physical is one of those, performance from Cameron Diaz. When you have the conversation of Cameron Diaz underrated, overrated, properly rated, and settle on underrated because she's really underrated. This she is, is underrated. one of the performances where you're like, yeah, the counselor. One of the most go for broke actresses. Really enjoyed her career. Years. Great yeah, job great. by her. Uh, Come back. She hasn't made a movie in like five years. I think she's done. Before Midnight, I don't think is in the best picture conversation for me. I thought it was the weakest of the three. I thought it was one of the most memorable movies I saw that year. It's really rough. You're just in the middle of this that relationship. Is a that is I was just going to say yeah, that. You're, yeah, you're in this, you're in like a real marriage with these people and it's warts and all. And it's like, you kind of leave the theater and you look at whoever you're dating or you're married to and you kind of size did, each other up for five seconds. When did Boyhood actually come out? What was that after? Two years ago. So yeah. the the Three the before ago. trilogy is like to me, in some ways, a lot more significant. It's just like way more of a significant achievement than Boyhood, even though he spent so much time making Boyhood. I agree it's too. a miracle, but like what he's done in the before trilogy and how. I think uh, crucially because those two actors have just remained relevant and so great. Chris, don't step on the summer rewatch. I know, but it's just like the before. But save some for the rewatch. Before midnight is is I think really deserves to be in in this best picture. So you would do best picture for it? Yeah, especially since it's no guarantee that we'll get a before afternoon or whatever the fourth one would be. You know, <laughs> before afternoon. Before I don't death. even know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before noon, like yeah. I think that that I think it's very hard to make something that feels real. That people can walk out of a movie and go, man, this person really understands relationships. This is really what it's like to be in a fight where you're like, is this the last fight we're going to have? And that movie does that. It pulls that off. That's 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 really impressive. He's such a genius. I love his movies. It certainly should have bumped a couple of the ones we have here. 
Francis High, I'm not a huge fan of, but make the case for it. You never lived in New York, Bill. <laughs> great. It's like, it's one of the all-time great 21st century, this is what it's like to be 26 in New York. Okay. Um, also, especially really- for me, I mean, I like, me and me and uh, Greta Gerwig are about the same age, and I can just feel her importing a lot of the experiences that I had. There are several scenes that take place in that movie in restaurants I've eaten in and in bars I've been to. Um, so it's a home movie for you? Uh, I wouldn't be that <laughs> derogatory about it. I think it's incredibly well made too. Um, Would you do Best Picture for it? You know, it's is it? Re- These are the five year Oscars. You can you can bump. We can I bump four this, of these I, movies. I, I threw a bunch of these kinds of movies at Sean last night. And it was interesting. Our like brief conversation that we had about it was, was pretty fast. In fact, Francis Ha was on that. Uh, Inside Lewin Davis was, was on that was list. the last, that was the last one I had on the list that sh- has to at least be discussed. So you're not a big Coen brothers person. So what do I'm you not, think? I didn't love this movie. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I was, but I, a lot of people like do. It. People are into this. So I'm just saying like, if we're trying to find nine, five years later, you, I, the counselor shouldn't be in there. But the other four we mentioned, The Conjuring, Before Midnight, Francis Hahn, Inside Lewin Davis, Bumping, Philomena, Nebraska, um, Captain Phillips, and American Hustle. Like, I'm okay with that trade. Right. Francis Ha would have been really, really surprising, but would it really have been any more surprising than something like Beast of the Southern Wild getting nominated? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes a small movie comes along and then they just recognize it, so that wouldn't have been crazy to me. Um, let's, ta- let's take a quick break and we'll get back to this. The new Microsoft Surface Pro 6 can help you get things done whether you're on the field or running a business. Take Brian Arakpo and Michael Griffin, two former NFL teammates who have opened a cupcake shop with the Surface Pro. They can do everything they need from setting schedules to creating promotions for social media and designing new flavors. Plus, it's light, super fast, has a great battery life. Brian and Michael are proving you can tackle all your passions with the power and speed of the new Surface Pro 6. Inside Lewin Davis, you want to make the case, Chris, quick? This is a movie that is like, it, 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 Coen Brothers movies now basically follow a cycle for me where the trailer is amazing and I can't wait to see it. Then the first time I see it, I'm like, huh. And then like the second or third time I see it, I was like, oh, that's probably one of the best movies I've seen in the last five years. And that happened with Hail Caesar and it happened with Inside Lewin Davis and it's happening with Buster Scruggs. So I just think that they don't make movies with the exception of No Country for Old Men that are optimized for Obviously, a very important film that will be celebrated at the Oscars. Also, their kind of cynicism about award season probably doesn't help. You know, they're kind of like being like, cool, thanks, is is sort of... I like that <laughs> about them. I, I love that about them. It's yeah. funny that they got three nominations this I know. year, just almost without even trying. I know. So best picture five years later is? I think 12 Years a Slave is the, is the great achievement. And it I, also feels like the right Oscar pick. But... I, I, I certainly could hear the case for gravity. Oh, I think it's Wolf of Wall Street. Pretty easily. For me. Yeah. I still go with 12 Years a Slave. I I thought that movie was really, really hit me. When we do this pod- This is really well done and just took me into a world and it said something and I thought it meant something. I think when- I'm okay with it still. So. It, it, it kind of balances all of the things that at least the Academy wants. Maybe not what I want specifically, but- it wants a meaningful story. It often wants a period piece. It wants something that feels true. It wants an extraordinary performance at the center of it. It wants supporting players who sort of like scare you and shock you and impress you. You know, every single supporting actor that's in that movie is doing impressive stuff. It's got vision. You know, Steve McQueen is a real artist 
And, and that was the other thing I liked about it is that it was one of those movies where you're watching and you're like, this guy's going to be in my life for 35 years. Definitely. I think and I we'll, think that matters. When we do this five years from now, there probably will be a weird and interesting conversation about Widows, which is pretty much completely overlooked. Yep. And it's fascinating. That, that movie. I like that. I need to see it again. What do you think, Kyle? Did you see it? Nope. You'd like it. Okay. Um, okay. One of the problems is a lot of dudes like Kyle who would dig Widows just didn't see Widows. Did you not know it was like they'll, out they'll or rent you it just when like, it's out? That's what I mean. Right yeah. now, I still have never heard of it. There you go. So Wolf of Wall Street for me, I just too long. I think it's too big of a flaw for me to overcome mentally. Okay. I, and I don't think it was enough to take the 12 years of sleep. Where does uh, it sit on your crown. all-time Scorsese list? Is it in the top 10? It's not in Give the top five for me. It's definitely not in the top five. Can we do this as a podcast on Big Picture? Top five Let's Scorsese. do it in March. The, the, the top five Scorsese. Scorsese. Okay. Yeah. You don't want to um, wait right. for The Irishman to come out when he has a new movie in the fall? I'm worried about that one. Best actor. <laughs> McConaughey won. DiCaprio is nominated. Bruce Stern nominated for Nebraska. He's actually good in that movie. Mm-hmm. It's the only, the only good thing about it. Christian Bale at American Hustle. And 12 Years a Slave. I'm going to mangle it. You know I have pronunciation dyslexia. Should we tell Edge for? for? Thank you. Uh, those were the five. I just feel like looking back, DiCaprio should have won. Yes. He's like fucking awesome in that movie. He's really great. He's like Bo Jackson in this movie. He's it's fucking just, it's incredible. It's kind of amazing that he didn't win. And I don't know what happened. It's And I feel like we had a pop culture sports website at the time, Grantland. Maybe, maybe we didn't have a huge influence, but um, I wish we had just gone deeper on why isn't Leo the best actor? Also, he's this is a performance that has lived on since then. It is like just constantly referenced. Like you always see like memes of it, of him throwing the orange juice or throwing money at Kyle Chandler. It's check. Yeah, it's incredible performance. This okay. is one of my confusions about the Rami Malek thing this year is why are we giving Rami Malek the, an Oscar for his first movie. We literally made Leonardo DiCaprio wait 20 years <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and make 15 movies that we all agree are great and were big hits and also prestigious. And we we're like, mm, not yet. Keep waiting. Keep Listen, waiting. fake teeth and lip syncing go a long way. Yeah. Best actress. This is one of, apologies to the nominees, but really one of the least memorable categories I think has ever been in this. Amy Adams at American Hustle. Blue Jasmine won Kate Blanchett. Judy Dench for Philomena. Meryl Streep for August Osage, Osage County. County. I don't even think Meryl Streep liked that movie. <laughs> and then it's uh like one of the great American plays. <laughs> not a great film, though. <laughs> I mean, it is just it's, it's pretty rough. I would love to know the percentage of people who fell asleep watching the that screener a, of that movie. That, that was an incredible 70%. play that got a brutal cast. That was like, let's get Benedict Cumberbatch in this movie. Oh, it was gosh. just like a really bad look. And then uh, Sandra Bullock for Gravity. I think looking back at this, Boo Jasmine is pretty good. I, I don't know. I don't even really care. It's I'm a, just, this category leaves me cold. It's the same thing. It's just Kate Blanchett probably should have won seven or eight I'm years fine earlier. It. It's I a like really Kate good performance. This is also, in retrospect, Delpy and uh, Gerwig should be in this category. Yeah. So, like, if you put Julie, Julie Delpy and Greg Gerwig in the ca- category, it becomes a much more interesting competition. And even, even Vera Farmiga, I would consider. Yeah. Meryl Streep was just the blind check mark of Meryl Streep. To some extent, Dench is too. I mean, I think Dench is a, like one of the great actresses, but like, I don't really know that I can tell the difference between one Judy Dench performance and another over the last 
10 years. I think it's also a good Sandra Bullock performance. You know, yeah. she's alone. She was the other one. There's I a lot of been. physical challenges. You know, I love when people like are alone that. in movies. Yeah. So you got it's like Damon and the Martian. Yeah, that's really a, hard to pull that off. I agree. I feel like people not being able to play off somebody is a, is a challenge in acting. And, and also like the green screen stuff that she had to do and wearing a suit the whole time, not being able to see that face as clearly as you do. She's so expressive. I don't know. It's a pretty good one. You know my Amy Adams take. It's my least favorite take of yours. What is your Amy Adams take? That she's the Alex Smith of famous actresses. <laughs> I did not know that she's was your fine. take. <laughs> she's fine. That's you can totally uh, make the first round with her. Mm, she doesn't make bad stuff. She doesn't make bad stuff. She's, she's she al- wins. almost never in a movie. Look at her win loss record. She's got a great win loss record. Yeah. You know what? I'm not winning the Super Bowl. With I'm her. a fan. I'm I know a, you're I'm a, a huge fan, fan. Yeah. especially after Sorry, I think Arrival changed that for me too. Like, yeah, I'm not here to make yeah. friends. Okay. Uh, supporting actor is egregious. This is the one. Like looking back, I was like, "What?" Um, Captain Phillips, that guy, Barkhad Abdi, Bradley Cooper in American Hustle, Fastbender in Twelve Years a Slave. Which would, if we did the rewatchables of Twelve Years a Slave, which would we're probably not doing. We're not doing that. But <laughs> he he. What's the award we have for the over actor? <laughs> the, well, the Dion slash Dino Waiters award. No, not Dion Waiters. The uh, oh, uh, the Rubinek. Yeah, the, yeah, the Saul Rubinek. They knew that's yeah. Fassbender in that movie. Jared Leto won for Dallas Buyers Club, which is egregious. And then Jonah Hill didn't win for Wolf of Wall Street, which I think, as the years pass, is outrageous. Twenty years from now, when he's got four or five nominations and hasn't won, we're gonna we'll be like, that's the one he should have won for. Terrible. I'd like to throw Brad Pitt from Counselor in this category. Wow. Oh, interesting. That that would be the one that I would add. Brad Pitt over Bardem. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Brad Pitt has like two amazing monologues and then a disgusting death. I liked your point. <laughs> I liked your call how Julie Delpy could have gotten nominated for Best Actress. She didn't get nominated for any of those three movies. And she's like it's a crime. indelible in those movies. She is. Like who else is even She has been nominated that? for screenplay for those movies. I though. love her. Supporting actress, um, Lupita Nyong'o won for 12 Years of Slave. Slave. The other... Sally Hawkins, Blue Jasmine, Jennifer Lawrence, American Hustle, Julia Roberts, August and Osage. They had two nominees. And then uh, Jane Squibb in Nebraska. June. That's also, a, yeah. I'm sorry, June Squibb. Uh, that's a bad category. I'm, I'm okay with how it ended up. Director, Alfonso Cuaron, Gravity. He won. He did win. He's going to win again. Steve McQueen, 12 Years a Slave, did not win. Tough. Alexander Payne, Nebraska. Stop it. David O. Russell, American Hustle. Adorable. And uh, Scorsese, Wolf of Wall Street. The top three in that category is pretty good. McQueen, Quaron, and, and Scorsese. Scorsese, yeah. It's pretty good. Could have gone in any direction. I mean, Scorsese had won recently for The Departed. Yeah. So he didn't. he wasn't going to win there. I thought Gravity was a, a real achievement with... I, it, it, I was constantly... Confused by how they were doing it. Did Chivo shoot that? He did. There's a really fascinating New York Magazine story that ran by a guy named Dan P. Lee about a month before the movie came out that explains how Quaron and Chivo conceived the whole movie that gives you incredible insight into the way that they figured out what kind of movie they wanted to make. Making space movies is really hard. Yeah. There's a space movie coming out in May that Chris and I are psyched about starring Brad Pitt called Ad Astra um, that I'm hoping is going to kind of challenge the Gravity 2001 Hall of Fame for, for these kinds yeah. of movies. So what would you go with five years later? McQueen or Quaron? Um, Quaron. It's Quaron. Quaron. 
Uh, I have pronunciation dyslexia. It's honestly a coin flip. Like, I don't have a preference. No, you either, can't. That's, it can't be a coin flip. This, a this was I'm the fine night, with how it went. I'm okay. good with how it went. Uh, Me with, too. Despite, like, the, the, the amount of Osage County that we had th- this night, I actually walked away from this Oscars night being like, cool. Like that, yeah. that's like a, that's like a very nice distribution of awards. I yeah, think Le- that, Leo losing to McConaughey. Was yes. Bad, but I think that Coron winning and 12 years of slave winning is like best possible outcome. There was not a lot of outcry about this one. It was not controversial. Best animated was the Crudes, Despicable Me Too, Ernest and Celestine. I don't even know what that is. Frozen, The Wind Rises. Kyle, you okay with Frozen for that one? I never saw Frozen. Okay. I've never seen any of these movies. Solo rewatchables, Kyle watches Frozen. (laughs) Kyle's upset because I told him he can't jewel during the podcast anymore because I don't like secondhand jewel smoke. I've never seen Kyle jewel during a podcast. No, secretly jewels. It's secret, exactly. And then I Googled secondhand jewel smoke and it's a thing. And some people get headaches. You're going to get exactly what you want. No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Take your jeweling outside. I will, I will. Uh, Yeah, weird year. I'm going to give this year like a C minus. Oh, I think it's like a, a B. It's a B. All right, I'll raise it to a C plus. Okay. Where would you rank it compared to this year so far? Right before the awards. <sighs> Probably pretty close. This year, even though there are a bunch of good movies that are nominated, is an F minus. No question. This is the messiest, most <laughs> annoying Oscars year in, in recent memory. I'm amazed by it. It, it's 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 exasperating. I think we felt this way five years ago about this group of movies, though. Mm, but Gravity and Twelve Years a Slave were such no brainer, classic, great Oscar movies. Oh, only The Wolf of Wall Street was the one that, like, we're looking back and we're like, ah, they kind of didn't, didn't do right by this. So yeah. few movies did we not do right by. All right, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, Big Picture. Uh, we should mention live. Both of you guys are going to be live Sunday. Yes. Not together, yes, though. Not together. That's you have the sadly. True Detective season for now, The Flat Circle, which yep. we'll be doing on YouTube and on Twitter and on our Ringer accounts. And then Sean and Amanda Dobbins post Oscars show. Um, there's really no post game shows for the Oscars. So we're going to do one. We got one. And hopefully there's some weird shit going on. So we'll see how that hopefully. goes. Uh, good luck, fellas. Thanks, Bill. All right. Thanks to Sean and Chris and Mallory and Kevin Clark and nephew Kyle for not juuling. Mm-hmm. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to Hotel Tonight. They make it easy to book awesome hotels at amazing rates, like a matchmaker between top-rated hotels with unsold rooms and people who want to book those rooms. Hotel Tonight, not for last-minute bookings. Book for tonight, tomorrow, and beyond. Perfect for planners, procrastinators, everyone in between. Sweet deals, cool hotels that you would actually want to stay in. Go to HotelTonight.com or download the app. Today, if you missed the rewatchables, we did Dave this week. We have Reality Bites coming next week. I have three podcasts coming next week, and uh, I will see you then.